For two weeks now, the people of Ukraine have been plunged into despair. But as the world watched the horror of the invasion unfold, we also bore witness to moments of astonishing bravery, defiance, and what can only be described as the extraordinary Ukrainian spirit. We will not give up and we will not lose. We will fight till the end at sea, in the air. We will continue fighting for our land, whatever the cost. We will fight in the forests, in the fields, on the shores, in the streets. At this moment, ordinary Ukrainians are defending their homes and their families against a brutal assault. And they are, by their actions, inspiring millions by their courage and their devotion. As the war in Ukraine enters its second week, President Volodymyr Zelensky is urging people to keep up their resistance. Wherever they go, they will be destroyed. They will not have calm here. They will not have food. They will not have one quiet moment. The occupiers will receive only one thing from Ukrainians, resistance. In Kherson, Ukraine, defiance. Residents woke up under Russian occupation and took to the streets. Go home, there's no vodka here, this man says. Remember, Kherson is Ukraine. From the woman who brought down a drone with a jar of tomatoes to the man carrying a live mine off a road while insouciantly puffing away on a cigarette to the farmers moving tanks with their tractors Ordinary Ukrainians have been standing up to the Russian onslaught. There's an update on the 13 Ukrainian border guards on a tiny island in the Black Sea who were reported to have refused to surrender. They told a Russian warship to go F yourself and all communication was lost. With their country engulfed by war, their courageous acts of resistance have inspired the world and written a new chapter of Ukrainian legend. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Russian forces versus the Ukrainian spirit. While Ukrainian cities are being bombarded with Russian fire, and it's too soon to know which way this war will go, one battle the Ukrainians are winning is in information and messaging. Whether it's the inspirational daily clips of the president rallying the country's morale, or phone footage showing ordinary Ukrainians doing extraordinary things as war rages around them, social media is awash with signs of Ukrainian resistance. To get a sense of what those images and clips, those symbols of defiance, have meant to those caught up in the conflict, I spoke to two Ukrainians who are still in the country. On Monday, I called Lisa Yasko, a member of parliament in Volodymyr Zelensky's Servant of the People Party. Hi, is that Lisa? Hello. Yes, that's me. My name is Lisa Yasko, a member of Ukrainian Parliament, Servant of the People Party, a Zelensky Party. I'm also the member of the Foreign Affairs Committee. Where are you now? 
I'm outside of Kiev. I prefer not to share where I am. Uh, first of all, I'm changing locations. And secondly, because of security reasons, honestly, I don't know where will I be next hour and the next day. I have many friends and colleagues who stayed in their constituencies, but then since the explosions and everything was was happening, some of them are also forced to move to another places and to be able to, to work and to help others. The last few days, we've really seen the Russian attacks, you know, getting worse, cities being bombed. We've seen even security corridors where families felt like they could leave a city without being fired upon, turning into awful scenes of violence. Watching all of that, I mean, just tell me, how has it felt for you as a Ukrainian? How do you think the people of Ukraine have managed in such tough circumstances? It's very heartbreaking days that we live through right now. Yesterday, for example, some of people I know, I unfortunately learned that some of them are killed. Some of them disappeared. Someone I knew from creative sector, um, film and theater director and actor who went to the territorial defense to defend Irpin. Um, this is a town 20 kilometers away from Kiev. He was killed yesterday. I'm so sorry. That's not like the individual case. Unfortunately, it happens in many places right now. It's very hard to maintain mental stability and also faith, but we are keeping that faith on because we understand that we don't have any other choice. We need to believe, we need to fight till the victory, till we are able to be back to our homes. But unfortunately, many of us won't see our homes because many of that buildings are destroyed. What is really astonishing for people all over the world is that a lot of these people who are now dressed in fatigues in sort of combats, who are carrying guns, who are fighting on the front line two weeks ago would have been working in offices or in coffee shops or in, you know, studios. They had normal jobs. People in Ukraine have had to to militarize and have had to face the front line of war so quickly. I mean, have you been surprised by how remarkably they've done it. It's not like we didn't expect that Ukrainians would be like that because we know that we already went through many battles in our lives. So we had the revolution, so we had war in 2014, we had the annexation of Crimea. We are a nation of people who really value uh, our freedom and are ready to defend it, no matter how hard it's going to be. But of course, to expect that the whole nation in one day will turn to soldiers, to volunteers, and, you know, that the numbers of those who actually came to Ukraine, not left, but came to Ukraine to help Ukraine right now. Also, the number is, is increasing every day. I think there are like more than 150,000 people. That's a lot. Hello? Hi, is that Alexi? Yes. Hi, it's Manveen from The Times. Uh, nice hearing from you. Someone else I wanted to speak to was Alexi Sorokin, political editor of the Kiev Independent. Last week, Alexi tweeted he was so proud of his country that he couldn't describe it in words. His tweet went viral. 
I think what every Ukrainian feels right now is extreme, I would say, honor to be standing side by side with the people, with the volunteers, with the Ukrainian army. We all understand that Russia has a bigger army. Russia has more weapons. And the whole world expected Russia to take over Ukraine fast. And Russia did. But the way Ukrainians united in their fight for their freedom made everyone, both inside and outside the country, feel extreme joy of being part of uh, the Ukrainian cause. I think we all are very motivated to keep on fighting. First of all, because we are not alone. Mm. And second of all, because we have a clear goal, and that's saving our independence and our way of life. And Alexei, you know, like you, I think the rest of the world, we've all been watching in awe. We see, you know, sort of stuff on social media coming out of Ukraine. We see little clips. We see people being unbelievably brave. Talk us through some of the incidents that will stay with you. What are some of the the little acts of resistance that you've seen that you will tell your children about? I think what strikes me the most is that um, ordinary people and women and the elderly in occupied cities, for example, the city of Melitopol or Kherson, who take the streets with Ukrainian flags and stop Russian tanks jump on Russian cars, trying to prevent them from going further. What it looks like right now, that Russia expected this to be an easy ride. They expected this to be the second Crimea, where they can just walk in the country and take without sustaining much casualties. But now, Russian soldiers, many of whom didn't even know that they're going to war, many of whom thought they're going for another round of exercises, now see that they're invading a country and they are not welcomed. And I think that strikes just uh, an unimaginable contrast between Ukrainians and Russians, where Ukrainians, with their bare hands, are stopping tanks And Russians, who can stop this war, instead of taking the streets, are lining up to IKEA in the last day before it's closing. And I think that's the main image that years from now will still be uh, very visible in my head, is that how Ukrainians, brave Ukrainians, with nothing but just their desire to help their country are doing everything they can. Have you seen acts of bravery in everyday life, you know, amongst the people you know? I have friends who joined the Ukrainian military, the Territorial Defense Unit. I know that a lot of women are now helping with trying to find medicine for those in need. There are ordinary people who are helping building barricades in cities. I know a person who never 
uh, watched the news who didn't have any say or any idea about what's happening around him in terms of politics. He's now in charge of gathering medicine and equipment. And because he has a big car, he drives around town and the nearby villages providing people with the things they need. So it's all around us. I think it's harder to find a person who's doing nothing than to find a person who's actually stepped up in this uh, time of crisis. It is remarkable. It feels like it's really brought out the best in people. I mean, there are a few incidents which became worldwide sensations. For example, the woman who approached some Russian soldiers with some sunflower seeds. Tell us a bit about that incident and tell us about the reaction in Ukraine to when that video was posted and went viral. It's a remarkable act of bravery, but it's not only this video. We see tens of videos like this all across the country. And I think that's what made people in Ukraine believe that we're going to win this because it's not only our military fighting against the enemy. The people in Ukraine, all over Ukraine, Russian-speaking, Ukrainian-speaking, West and East, they oppose this invasion. And the whole country is united against Russia. And that's what makes people believe in victory. And I think the video that you're talking about is a very clear example of this. There was another moment where I think the whole world kind of paused for for breath just watching it because it was just so astonishing was just the clips that came out of Snake Island where the guards were just remarkably defiant. I mean, tell us about that and tell us about how that affected people on the streets. I think that's going to be the most important video or like audio clip of the war. It became uh, a leitmotif of the whole Ukrainian resistance. Mm. The phrase that they said, I'm not going to translate it, but is now being widely used towards Russians, towards Russian tanks, towards Russian aircraft, fleet, companies. This phrase is now part of this whole pantheon of war. And I think there's probably zero people in Ukraine who didn't uh, watch it and don't know what you're talking about. It's sort of become a national slogan. Yeah, it it basically became a national slogan. Even Ukrainian banks are now uh, having their bank cards published with the slogan. Everybody's using it. You're uh, kidding. This is, I think, the most important uh, phrase of the war so far. Wow. And it was, I mean, in polite terms, it was Russian warship, go F yourself, which just seems yeah. to like perfectly sum up that complete defiance. It's what everybody's thinking. And the courage that those border guards surrounded, I think there was like 13, 14 of them, surrounded by Russian Black Sea Fleet just saying no, that sums up Ukraine's 
willingness to fight and that Ukrainians outnumbered, some cornered, will never give up. It's amazing. And and at the time, there were fears that those guards had been killed. And we now think that maybe they've been taken prisoner. But they sort of became legends overnight. They are now legends. And we all hope they're alive. The first reports were that they were killed. Now we we have information that they are taken as prisoners of war. And they are definitely, when and if released, they are going to be uh, treated as heroes of Ukraine. Every day, hundreds of stories of people helping each other. Those people who open their homes and doors to those who are in need. And, you know, it's very hard to find any room and any accommodation, for example, in the west of Ukraine. But many locals, they just bring food to people who are on the roads. I also have heard uh, a story of one of my colleagues who was driving west of Ukraine yesterday. And there was a grandmother standing just near next to the road. When she stopped, she asked what this grandmother is doing. And she said, that she wants to bring some food to everyone who needs. So please let everyone know who is uh, in a traffic so that there is this one village and we are cooking food and we will be happy to bring you food. And there are like hundreds of stories like that. And that's very inspiring. It's real selflessness at such a difficult moment. It's very tragic and a real war that came not only to one part of Ukraine, but I don't think that there is anyone in Ukraine who doesn't experience the feeling of the war right now because it's everywhere. I think we've all been amazed by sort of some of the acts of real bravery and courage too. you know, have some of those incidents which have sort of gone viral on social media, have they helped build a sense of morale for Ukrainian people? These are not individual cases. Majority of people are like that. And uh, I'm sure that in every house, in every village, you can find people who are very brave and who are defending now and protecting Ukrainian land against the aggressor. In these two weeks, there was only probably one moment in two weeks when I managed to to smile. And it was a story about how Ukrainian women actually destroyed Russian drones by throwing a jar with cucumbers at that drone and destroying it. That story was so remarkable, we couldn't quite believe it was true. But it has since been verified. The only detail that was wrong was that it was actually a jar of pickled tomatoes thrown by a woman in Kyiv who'd been sitting on her balcony when she spotted the drone. Yet another example of Ukrainian resourcefulness. I think we've got probably some training in that experience. Like our immune system of the nation is very strong. (laughs) And this is the moment when we are just showing it because it concerns everyone right now. Coming up, how Putin got Ukrainians and their pride in their country completely wrong. But first. I'm Richard Lloyd Parry and I'm the Asia editor of The Times and The Sunday Times. Based in Tokyo, I cover a stretch of the world from Myanmar to Japan. 
on subjects ranging from North Korean nuclear proliferation to sumo wrestling. The podcast that you're listening to is only possible thanks to the subscribers to The Times and Sunday Times. So please do consider subscribing today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the things that we keep hearing from President Putin, you know, in his version of history is that Ukraine isn't a real country, it's part of Russia, it doesn't really have a national identity of its own. In a way, have the last few weeks given Ukraine a national story that will last long beyond this war? I think yes, because the Russian main mistake is that by saying that Ukraine doesn't have a national identity, by saying that Ukraine shouldn't join NATO, and by invading the country... They are only bolstering Ukrainian uh, national identity, Ukrainian awareness, Ukrainian language, the popularity of the European Union and NATO. And basically, Russia is doing everything it can to split Russians and Ukrainians. Some of uh, them who have family connections, relatives in either of those two countries, Russia has done everything possible to place an iron current between Ukraine and Russia. And to prove this point is that Ukraine would have never applied to join the European Union in the next, I don't know, years, maybe 10 years. Because of Russia's war, Ukraine did it a couple of days back. And that's what's happening on the ground, that when we see clips of Ukrainians fighting the Russian uh, tanks with bare hands, Ukrainians singing the national anthem in occupied cities, Ukrainian soldiers outnumbered stopping Russian uh, tanks and Russian military convoys. And then when we see Russians doing nothing, then it seems to us that Russia doesn't have a national identity, that Russia is not a real state. And I think the problem here is that after this is over, Ukraine will be a country with its history, with its legends, with everything that our nation and a country has to have. And Russia? Well, Russia is in crisis, and I don't see how they can find themselves after this. You know, for me, it's very hard to understand Putin right now because I know that he wants to take Ukraine. He doesn't believe that Ukrainian nation exists, but I still cannot believe even right now that he miscalculated how strong we are about our national identity. For me, it's hard to believe that no one told him about that. 
And uh, definitely that day that we are living right now and we are fighting will be in the books, in the, his, in the history, but not only in the history of Ukraine, but in the world history. And I'm very proud of my president right now because with his example of his leadership and how he managed to unite many, many sides. And we think that his example of his bravery, that he stays in Kiev, he doesn't leave. And of course, that's dangerous to stay in Kiev, but he's not scared. But that's a real leadership that I think the world needs to learn from. It's such a David and Goliath battle. I mean, do you worry about what might happen in the next few weeks? I'm very worried about the possibility of humanitarian crisis in different cities, and it's already happening. You know that in the east, in Mariupol, uh, also in Kharkiv, and in the cities, in the towns around Kiev, Chernigiv, which is north, the situation is very bad, that it's not even possible to bring some some water, some food, some medicine, and uh, I don't even want to imagine how many deaths and killings and real results we will face when we finally find out about what's actually happening with those with whom we don't have connection right now. Because hmm. many people, they don't have a mobile connection. And we still hope that they are safe and they're somewhere in the basement and in the shelter. But not all of them unfortunately, probably will survive also because Russians really attacking lots of civilians. And for example, there was an air missile uh, going through the one of the central children's hospital in Kiev. And we were very lucky that Ukrainian defense managed to protect and to defend. But imagine what would it happen if that bomb would go to the children's hospital. But it's already happening in another places and with the nuclear plant, uh, power plant, as we know. And it's incredibly dangerous, incredibly. And I'm so scared to read the analytics also that this is the strategy that Putin was using in Chechnya and in Syria. But, you know, for me, Chechnya and Syria was always something that is a real nightmare. Yeah, And unfortunately, a real nightmare is happening in my country too right now. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Lisa, I mean, given that and given everything that you're, you're experiencing, you know, seeing those acts of bravery amongst Ukrainians has been great for, for, for morale at least. You know, it's sort of kept people going. Has it been quite helpful seeing, you know, there have been some remarkably brave people in Russia too who've been out on the streets protesting even though... They're being beaten up and arrested. Has that helped? Well, of course, we really follow what's happening inside Russia right now. But we are also, we have no illusions about the Russian society right now because we know that it's a totalitarian regime there. And with the fact that they don't have access to information right now, they are very scared. That's why, of course, those who went on the streets to protest, we, we think that there is so much hope right now in that protest. But mm. in the same time, I'm sure that the numbers could be much higher. And I feel very sorry for those who need to leave Russia right now, for those who are arrested right now. But in the same time, I know this is the fight for our future. And sometimes the price 
even of being arrested, this is the price that someone has to pay for the truth and for peace and for, for future in general. Despite all the horrors of what the last few weeks have brought, have you also been able to feel proud of what Ukrainians have managed to achieve and, and how they've responded? Well, definitely. We are very proud of uh, many achievements uh, of many people. But at these days, we hardly sleep. And I don't think any of us are in a good mental condition that we can analyze everything. We are in a fighting mode. And uh, we are screaming to all the world that please hear us. Currently, every Ukrainian is living in the most uh, important, the most defining moment of Ukrainian history. Everything that happens now will be encarved in our memory. Every day brings us new legends, new heroes, and also new strategies. So I think for many Ukrainians, this is the moment, this is the exact moment that we will never forget and that we will tell our children, our grandchildren, and carry with us as long as we live. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, MP from Ukraine's Servant of the People Party, Lisa Yasko, and political editor for the Kiev Independent, Alexei Sorokin. You can keep up to date with events in Ukraine with the extensive Times coverage either online or in print. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>